the Best Health for Us podcast for employees of Wake Forest Baptist Health. Welcome, guys. We are so excited. I am Elizabeth Meinhart. I am the communications manager for Best Health for Us, and I am here with Jane Anderson. Yeah, welcome. I'm Jane, and I'm one of the registered dietitians on the team and also a certified wellness coach. And actually, you know what, Jane? I just realized you're not Jane Anderson anymore. I know. I, I say that to you all the time. And, and it's hard. It like, feels weird to say Jane Weiss. <laughs> Jane got married in October. And so now she's Jane Weiss. But of course, I'm also looking at your like Zoom thing and it says Jay Anderson. So I'm like, going to have to work on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But Jane and I are going to be here with you in your ears every Wednesday, um, offering some great educational resources for our Wake Forest Baptist Health team. Um, So Best Health for Us, for those of you that don't know, is our internal health and wellness program for our employees, because we want you guys caring well, living well, and being well, um, because we know that caring for our patients is the most important thing we do. So we are going to be here talking to different people. We're going to be offering you meditations and a ton of other stuff. If you want to learn more, check out our, our teaser intro that um, came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, but first, Jane, what have you been doing in this past week to really help you with your self-care? You know, we are here to make certain that our employees are caring for themselves too, because we can't care for our patients if we're not caring ourselves. So what have you been doing? You know, today I actually did one of the peaceful pauses. And it was really nice. It was a shoulder stretching um, activity. So it was, it was nice to actually take the opportunity to do the pause and slow down for part of my day and do a, a stretch. Very nice. And so those are like weekly or daily? Remind me. Those are twice a day. Yeah. In, in the morning, I think 9.54 and then also at 1.54. Nice. Most of the time I see them pop up and I think, oh, it'd be nice to do that. But I don't have the time right now. <laughs> but they're five yeah. minutes. So it's really quick. Okay. So we just have to find five minutes for ourselves. Okay. What about you, Elizabeth? What'd you do to care for yourself? Well, you know, yesterday, um, I went home and took a bubble bath at the end of the day. Nice. I love a bubble bath. Uh, (laughs) And I had been all over the place and um, just physically and mentally drained. So I got out my bathtub and my bath bubbles and had a little me time, um, and, uh, and relaxed and I slept pretty well last night too. So that was a nice uh, side mm-hmm. effect there. Wind down. One of our speakers that hopefully will be in a podcast, uh, he's a psychologist said that there's not a day of the day of the week that you won't find her having taken a bubble bath. So there's something very relaxing about that. I am glad to know I am not alone. When I bought my house, my real estate agent actually said to me, she went, I mean, I get that there's no bathtub in the master and that was on your list, but how often do you really take a bath? And I was like, four days a week. And she was like, oh, okay. What's essential self-care? <laughs> Especially in the winter. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I love a hot bath in the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost necessary. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure my dermatologist would tell you that I am taking way too hot of a bubble bath because my skin turns red, but (laughs) (laughs) well, you know, we had the great honor of having one of our former colleagues with us on our podcast today. We had Katie Ward with us. um, And I was so excited to talk to Katie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, nice to be able to have a conversation and, and she and I have a lot of the same kind of um, ideas around nutrition and, um, have, have looked at a lot of different, 
um, approaches that um, that we use when we work together. So it was really nice to, to be able to talk about that. And um, and there's a lot of growing attention to that kind of um, discussion, which which you'll see in the podcast, but or here in the podcast. <laughs> and um, and yeah, it's it's nice to to have coworkers that you really enjoy getting to to talk to you. Unfortunately, she's not on our team anymore, but but it's nice to miss her. Be able to connect. Yeah. Well, and I will say one of the things I love about the two of you and your approach to to food is that I never feel like I'm being judged when I bring out my lunch pail at the office. <laughs> no matter what's inside it that day, if I have leftovers from last night or if I have like a healthy meal, um, I never feel like I'm getting like the... Mm, like I never feel any judgment coming from the two of you. So I always really appreciate that. Well, that's, that's the goal. And, and, you know, there's, there should never really be a feeling of judgment around what you're eating. And, um, and amazingly, the same thing happens often to dietitians, but it is a lot of like, you're eating that. <laughs> so, uh, PSA, that is not polite to do that. I mean, I feel like I remember we had a baby shower for uh, a dietitian that involved ice cream sundaes, if I remember right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's all about uh, finding finding good balance between things you feel really nourish your body, um, whether that's physically and also sometimes emotionally. Sometimes it feels really good to have a cupcake or to have some ice cream. Good to know. I at least now say I am emotionally eating this cupcake to myself, and then I still let myself eat the cupcake. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, we will not make anybody wait any longer. Let's get to our interview with Katie. We have registered dietitian Katie Ward, formerly of the Best Health for Us team. So we are so excited to have you back, Katie. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yay! So. With Katie and Jane being registered dietitians and March being National Nutrition Month, it seemed like we should definitely ask them all of our diet questions um, right now while we still can. (laughs) So I'm going to start a little bit with tell me, ladies, as registered dietitians and people who work with all kinds of different members of the Wake Forest Baptist Health team, what is your approach to nutrition? It's a loaded question. (laughs) Our approach. I think I can probably speak to both Jane and I, we have very similar, um, I guess, overall approaches to nutrition. Um, and we could probably go on about this for a long time, but I think ultimately we both really just love food (laughs) and we, we want to help other people also just enjoy food and have a better relationship with food. Of course we care about health and, and nutrients and things like that, but, um, Overall, I think, I don't know, you can correct me if you, if you want to Jane or elaborate on that, but I think like the enjoyment of eating and food and enjoying healthy foods and learning how to cook, um, is maybe the underlying like basis of, of what probably motivates both of us to do what we do. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that that's, uh, the fundamental boil boils down to, um, what our, passion is, is, is really enjoying food, having fun with cooking it and, and wanting to share that with other people. And often, especially in healthcare, it seems like what I've learned and working with employees in, in the past few years with the employee wellness team is that there's a lot of 
um, anxiety, it seems like, about eating and how to do that correctly, how to do that right, quote unquote. And, um, and I think that mine and Katie's approach is that there's not a right way to do it. It's about um, eating in a way that feels good to you, that's taking care of your body, nourishing it, and that, that tastes good too, because that's really important. Um, but not getting too caught up in the, um, sometimes we get over fixated on what, what's the right way, what is the uh, good or bad way to eat. And, and we definitely try to keep things in the field of uh, there's, there's no right or wrong, good or bad. It's about taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally. love that. Cause I know like when I think about nutritionists, I think about, they're going to tell me what I can't eat. Right. Like that's the first thing I think of as someone who isn't a nutritionist and, mm-hmm. but I've worked with you guys for a while now and know that that's not how you approach it. And like, I've seen you eat cake and chocolate and that's okay. Like- <laughs> I, literally, I literally just pulled a chocolate out of my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> And I love that. So I'm really hopeful that you guys can really help our employees understand, um, especially like Jane, you're talking about like the right way to eat, right? In in quotation marks. Um, so I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about more about that. Like what what is the quote unquote right way, or what is the way that people should be thinking about their food? What is the right way to eat? I think I think that's what gets us into a lot of trouble. Um, is that there really isn't one right way to eat. I mean, if you think about all of the different cultures and just countries in the world and how everybody's way of eating and diet looks different, you know, you have people, you know, France is known for breads and, and um, cheese and, and things that we here in the U S would deem as, you know, questionable or bad. Um, yet France is, is healthier than we are as a nation. And so anyway, there's a lot of different, a lot of different ways to eat. And I think it goes beyond, I don't know, it's, it's not as simple as right and wrong. <laughs> it has a lot more to do with, you know, of course your health, but also your culture and, and your family and, and what works for you. And of course, individual needs, like with regards to like allergies or things like that. But it's a, it's a really hard, hard thing to define. Yeah. Well, and then, so then with that, we can't give people like, here is a manual exactly how you should eat and you'll be 100% healthy. So with that, what, what do you think, what do you want people to know about nutrition that they don't know right now? I think something that's, that's always interesting is <clears throat> the, the gut brain connection and how your stress can impact your nutrient absorption. And sometimes we can be our worst enemies with how we're viewing food and our health and, um, and how that can actually detract from our nutrition status. So, so that's something that's always kind of interesting, um, to, to think about, to mull on. There is a lot of information out there on different ways to eat. And, um, and like you were, you were talking about, like, what's the right way or, um, what's a good way to approach it. And that drives people crazy to not get a direct answer. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's a good thing because as soon as we have rigid rules around how we should eat and more often than not, we can't follow that. It's impractical for a lot of different reasons. And, uh, and that becomes where we feel like we failed, like eating is a pass or fail kind of, um, test. And that's just, that's just not really the case. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it's important to remember that that's not giving you something you didn't necessarily already know, but um, 
but uh, we we do practice the intuitive eating approach too. We were going to say that sooner or later <laughs> today, but uh, but that is ultimately connecting to your body. There are some uh, basic nutrition points of that, but the human body performs best by having something to eat consistently. So not going really long periods of time without eating. So um, not the intermittent fasting that everyone's obsessed with. Yeah. <laughs> not great for everyone. You might be able to find some um, research uh, that, that supports that. The problem is that, um, that that is often looking at people who haven't been surrounded by food or other people eating. And so it's really hard to sustain that. And, um, and so it's, it's important to think about what's practical. Yeah. And just a sidebar about research in general, it is really hard to do research on nutrition and the way people eat because number one, it's really hard to control. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to control unless you're putting everybody in their own, you know, cells like locked away (laughs) for an extended period of time. You're not really getting a realistic idea of how they're eating. Um, A lot of nutrition research is done just having people fill out food frequency questionnaires and just kind of, and thinking back to what they ate and it's not always accurate. Um, and then yeah, the I definitely thing is remember that remember what I ate for, for dinner yesterday, let alone today. So yeah, right. I know, I know <laughs> it takes a lot to remember all of that. Um, but then the second thing is that those studies aren't, aren't long-term um, mm-hmm. typically. And so they might, they might be a year or two years at best. Um, but rarely or if ever are they you know many many years long so I just wanted to throw that out there because I think that confuses people especially with intermittent fasting and and things that actually do have research behind it that seems promising um but I would challenge people to look back at that research and ask you know what's missing and how long was that study and how sustainable is that um for like a real living working person well and I would say like I know I was reading a study this weekend about eggs and they, they, um, you know, cause eggs are always the thing we can't eat this week and can't eat the following week. Right. Um, you know, and so, but it was a study done in Japan. And so I was like, okay, great. This is a 30 year study, but also it's in Japan. How relevant, like their diet is so drastically different than an American diet. So I was like, how relevant is that information really to me? Um, especially with you guys talking about like cultural eating being a big part of that process. Right, right. Yeah, I think you do definitely have to not only look at your own culture widely, but also your own life. And you know, everybody's life is different, too. um, And how how that might fit into your life. Um, But I do want to circle back to the original question that you asked about the right (laughs) way to eating. And and Jane started talking about intuitive eating, and both of us are really passionate about that. Um, So yeah, there's definitely a, you know, a recommendation to not go too long of periods without eating and making sure that you're ultimately taking care of yourself. It's about self-care. And otherwise, you know, nutrition is, is important. You know, you want to fuel your body with things that are going to actually fuel your body. (laughs) Um, But the authors of that book put um, kind of put it into interesting terms. I think we've all heard the term junk food and we refer to things like, you know, that we also might refer, think of as being bad, you know, like junk food might be candy or or soda or whatever it is. Um, But they don't like to use that term. Um, Instead, they like to use the term play food. And I think that's 
I think that's important because if when you think of junk, what you know, what do you what do you think of when you think of junk? Yeah, I mean, you think of things that no one wants that you're throwing away. Nothing, right. nothing good. Dirty. <laughs> right. It's like uh, trash, dirty, right? Yeah. Bad. Um, and that's I don't know. That's just not not a very nice way to think about food, at least in my opinion. And they so they compare what they call um, the term they use for junk food is is play food. And they compare that to other, to nourishing foods, right? And they compare those names or that concept to um, like, if we were all to be working, you know, seven days a week, working is kind of like, we do that to survive. We need the money. That's kind of like your nutritious food, right? We need that for our bodies to survive and for our bodies to function. But we can't work seven days a week 24 hours a day, right? (laughs) We need some time in there for some more fun play foods. And so they definitely have a place in our lives. Um, So I thought that kind of that um, metaphor was It doesn't feel like you're you're violating some norm by eating that Mm -hmm. item, right? Junk sort of indicates to me, at least just hearing you talk about this, that like, I'm violating the norm and so it's junky, right? Whereas I, I'm playing, I'm expected to play at certain parts of my day or my week and that's okay. So exactly. like I haven't like, fallen off the diet wagon, quote unquote, if I decide to have some play food. Right. Yeah, right. The, other, yeah the other part of that is uh, not making food into this moral decision of the, the good or bad thing because what happens there, if you think you've been eating good, then um, it feels like it's something to be ashamed of if you eat something quote unquote bad. So, um, so that what, what can happen is that um, it's, it's something that you get away from just connecting to you. Like, man, I've eaten a lot of candy. My teeth feel kind of sugary and I feel actually kind of unsatisfied. Like I need an actual meal to eat. It's getting away from that and getting more into this moral dilemma of I shouldn't have eaten that, I can't believe mm-hmm. that, rather than giving your body some credit for giving you some feedback for what you're eating. And that intuitively listening to it and not just. Which takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. there's not, you know, there, there's, uh, we live in a world that actually kind of uh, encourages getting away from intuitive eating. So, uh, so it does take practice to get to a place where you feel like you can connect what your body is is telling you and giving you different cues and signals so plug for our class that'll be starting in march too <laughs> for so as a marketing person we need to make sure we get that plug in there yeah, <laughs> you can go to yeah. Com and register right yeah and, and there's always coaching counseling that's available individually on um, intuitive eating or basic nutrition yeah which you can also do at best health the number four right thank you (laughs) so with all of that you know you guys are really focusing on intuitive eating so then what do you guys think about when like not this January but in past Januaries like the world has decided they were going on to keto or they were going on to whole 30 or these other kind of elimination oriented diets what do you guys think about all that (laughs) did your head go to Ecuador when she just said that (laughs) Because I heard keto for a second, people going off oh. keto. <laughs> Q-U-I-T-O. <laughs> got it, got it now. No, I figured that out. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that yeah. Is, um, very true. 
usually the new year is when we see a lot of people come to us, you know, wanting to start the new year clean, quote unquote, or, or, you know, do some kind of elimination diet to either get rid of toxins or to lose weight. Or, um, honestly, we see a lot of people who want to lose weight, but sometimes there's other things thrown in the mix too. And I mean, every, despite there being differences in different diets, like keto is different than, um, whole 30, et cetera. Um, the singular, well, there's probably a lot of commonalities, but probably the major one that we have an issue with is that they're not sustainable in the long run. And, um, once you start doing diets like that, that aren't sustainable, what typically ends up happening is that you might be able to will yourself to do it for three or four weeks. And then it just, it gets to be a lot of work and it gets to be really tiring and you're continuing to deprive yourself and deprive yourself. And there's a lot of research that shows that once you deprive yourself, um, there's going to be some breaking point where you just, you give in and, and you end up binging, binge eating. Um, and thus that, that can start this cycle of, of what's called the dieters dilemma, where you, have this desire to change your body or change something. So you go on a diet, then you do that for some limited amount of time, but then ultimately either you're, you're starving yourselves or you're depriving yourselves to, of some essential nutrient. Um, and at some point you can't handle it anymore. So you binge eat and then you end up gaining the weight back or more in some cases. And then that cycle starts again. Um, so that can be actually pretty dangerous for your health in and of itself. Yeah, sounds like it. There's also in the intuitive eating um, book, which I always find something new every time that I'm flipping through it or reading through it or teaching in class. There's a couple of studies that are referenced when thinking about um, giving ourselves permission to eat different kinds of food. And the one of the studies I was going to mention is <clears throat> looking at children and they were told you can have M&Ms, you can't have the red ones, you can have um, any other color you want. And guess what? They ate more of the red ones because, because those suddenly <laughs> became much more appealing. And the same thing, there's been another study where kids were told they couldn't have fruit like that. And whatever they're told they can't, they can't have, it's becoming more appealing. I want that, mm -hmm. you know, now. And so that's what dieting is doing. It's the psychological deprivation. <laughs> and there, at some point, there's kind of a breaking point or it increases foods um, allure and, um, and, you know, kind of power, um, over, over you rather than kind of tuning in to like, what tastes good? What sounds like it'd be satisfying? Um, what do I want right now? So, yeah. um, but I shouldn't tell kids that they can't have fruit in an effort to get them to eat fruit. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that though. That would screw them up. You could perform a social experiment and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see what my nieces think about that. We'll tell them they can't have any fruit. <laughs> yeah, you might get some results there. Their mom will call me when they have scurvy and we'll have a different issue. <laughs> well, one other thing I, I wanted to say with the January um, kind of mentality is that there's so much social pressure around that. And if you own a television or have ever turned that on and seen cable TV, there's a lot of diet commercials. And um, weight loss, whatever. And so there's just immense pressure to, we're getting from a lot of directions 
um, to lose weight and use January as a sort of reset because people have eaten a lot of rich food um, over the holidays, maybe, or they're they're kind of feeling guilty, which we talked about before, because there is shame in having more rich foods because we've somehow decided those are bad. Um, so people are, are really subjected to all of these commercials and pressures to lose weight. And then um, it just, it's, it's a money-making thing for weight loss industry to, to get a lot of uh, people, consumers, um, ultimately in that. I think that's a, a really great point and kind of brings me to my, my next question, you know, cause like all, all January long, I feel like my personal inbox was full of Noom and Weight Watcher ads. Like, I think I got two a day from each one of those for the entire month of January. And I've maybe seen one this week. Um, so mm. talk to me a little bit about what you feel like those, those kind of systems, like they're not elimination diets, quote unquote, they're supposed to be meant to be long-term. So what are your thoughts on those? Yeah. Weight Watchers is one we see a lot of, um, and, and Noom too, I would say that's gaining popularity. Um, even if those or certain programs like that don't necessarily eliminate a food group or eliminate certain foods, the way that they're set up still deems food as being good or bad. And that can still um, instill (laughs) um, guilt, guilty feelings um, in in you as well. Um, Yeah. The, the other issue with, with Weight Watchers in particular is, and the point system is that if you, for instance, you're given a, an allotment of points and what happens one day, if you feel satisfied, you feel full, but you still have points left, you know, you're going to take advantage of that and you're going to eat more, right. Despite whether or not your body actually needs it or wants it. Um, and you can say the same thing the other way, you know, what if you have a hungrier day or you've for some reason are feeling hungrier and you've already used all your points, you know, what, what are you going to do then? Are you just going to ignore your body telling you that it needs food or are you going to go above your points? Um, so the, yeah, those are a couple issues um, with Weight Watchers. Yeah. And I think that that Noom operates off of a maybe like red, yellow, green kind of mm-hmm. system that puts foods into a hierarchy. And uh, rather than thinking about foods sort of neutrally based on what your body is telling you, um, then, then you kind of get into all these um, sort of moral decisions with eating again. And, um, and that's what, you know, is, is not really developing a positive relationship with food and with your body. So, um, so that's the thing with some of those programs. And then, um, anything that's kind of weight oriented, it uh, drives this expectation of outcomes. And if you, or let's say you begin eating a lot of vegetables, cooking more meals at home, um, having snacks during the day that, that these programs may encourage, you may feel better, you may feel more energized, but then if you're not seeing results, then that's where people will throw their hands up and say, what's the point? And walk away from it and, and kind of go back into um, the cycle. So, so I think that another key component of really like in, eating intuitively is, is trying to focus more on how you feel, what your health feels like noticing energy rather than just seeing like, what are the results on the scales? Because we really can't manip- manipulate that in a way that weight loss industry tells us that we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot more. The scale is 
so limited in what it tells us, you know, the scale can't measure your confidence or your happiness. I mean, let alone, you know, it's, it's measuring not just the fat in your body, but also your muscle and also water. Um, so it's really not telling you much. Um, and so when you do only focus on the scale and it's not going the direction that you want it to go, you're kind of losing sight of what's actually making you healthy, which is if you are eating well and, and you feel good, it shouldn't matter what the scale says, but that's, that's a lot easier said than done. <laughs> I think the two of you need to be in charge of our culture about around these things. <laughs> that's the hard part, right? Like the scale yeah. doesn't match what you want it to. And you've got society telling you one thing. You might even have your doctor telling you one thing um, mm-hmm. because of the focus on BMI so often. Um, Which is a real problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's why Katie and I are both um, what's called haze aligned and Katie, hopefully I can speak, I know I can speak for you on this too, but that's, that's health at every size and, and really the focus being on um, being healthy, focusing on behaviors rather than really focused on what's your BMI, what is your size, your, um, your weight, all of those things, because that's, that's never really going to drive health um, because, because the, the focus is really in the wrong area. Weight focused healthcare is mostly what we live in yeah. where people who are at a higher body weight more than likely get different treatment than someone who is at a normal body weight. And, um, and someone who is at a higher body weight is more likely to go to their doctor for, um, some kind of issue and be told, well, what you need to do is lose weight where someone in a a maybe lower body weight would get told something totally different. And, um, and that's, that's not really helpful for a, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I talked to a lot of people who, or I, I have talked to a lot of people who don't like to go to the doctor because they know they're going to be weighed. Even if weight, you know, isn't the reason they're going, they might, they might just be going for, you know, a check-in or a checkup and, you know, we're, we're kind of used to this, you get weighed no matter what you're going in for. And that can actually draw people away from seeking care because they don't want to be told that they need to lose weight again and again and again, because it's ultimately, it doesn't make you feel good, right? When somebody tells you, you need to lose weight, it's like, okay, I've heard that. Um, And when we feel shame like that, that doesn't, that's not motivating. That doesn't motivate you to take care of yourself. You know, it's, it's actually the opposite. Whereas when you focus on things that make you feel good and you focus on self-care and eating foods that make you feel good and and moving because it makes you feel good, that intrinsically continues to motivate you. Um, So I think we kind of have that backwards in our culture as well. (laughs) So ladies, in theory, we have an audience full of doctors and nurses. What would you want to say to them aside from don't pressure your patients? Um, about weight and dealing with their patients. Yeah, I, I think I think about that a lot. What Katie just said is that we've got it backwards. We're focusing on the scales as this indicator for people's health, and it's not. <laughs> it's it's more about so many other factors. Where's their stress? Where's their their sleep? How much sleep are they getting? Um, what does movement look like in their life or activity? Um, relationships. 
I, I read recently that loneliness, feeling lonely or isolated is the equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So, which is a big deal right now, <laughs> loneliness and isolation. So, so I think that it is very important to look at all these other indicators and see a person for uh, much more depth than just like, hey, looks like your weight is at this today. And, and that is an unfair um, uh, summing up of that, that patient or person in front of you um, to make a lot of assumptions about them. So uh, not saying that everybody does that. And that's, that's honestly how most providers are trained. And, um, and it is an, an easy capture for them to get. And there's very little time they get with patients. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty hard to, to ask all those questions um, when, when you just don't have the time to do it. Uh, that's when you can refer to a dietitian. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or like a social worker or, or you know, yeah. someone else that does have the time mm-hmm. um, because usually the issues are multifaceted like that. And it might be, it might be easier to say, you know, you need to go lose some weight, go, go exercise or eat eat better and not really have the chance to dive into those, you know, more meaningful behavior changes. Like Jane was saying. Yeah. I love that. Well, also our doctors and our nurses, if you're treating a fellow Wake Forest Baptist health employee, they should refer them to us for nutritional counseling. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so basically we've learned about all these things that we should not be eating or stressing about. So what would you want our listeners to really know about like, okay, so I've been told I shouldn't be doing Weight Watchers and I shouldn't eliminate things and I should listen to my body, but I don't know how to do that yet. So aside from taking a best health for us class, what should I be doing? Yeah, that is a really good question. I think that that does leave a lot of people feeling like I, and I've heard this, Katie and I, both from many employees, many clients who are saying, I just want a plan. I just want you to tell me what to do or, or, you know, they're looking for parameters. Um, One thing you, you certainly can order the intuitive eating book (laughs) that is online, widely available. And there's tons of resources on the intuitive eating, um, website where you can find, um, lots of interviews and podcasts with authors have been in if you wanted to just learn more. Um, but, uh, otherwise, uh, getting to a place where you are trying to give yourself permission to eat a wide variety of foods, thinking about having meals consistently across the day. So your body gains some trust with you and knowing, Oh, I'm going to be fed. And like, I've been really astonished by the number of employees who aren't able to eat lunch or they, they don't eat until afternoon or they're just busy, but, um, but making that a priority and doing that in a, in a practical way. Um, so, so trying to have more regular consistent meals and then, um, the, the just loose parameters around what to have is thinking about if you're looking at a plate, having some starch, protein, um, vegetable or fruit, maybe both, um, some sort of fat in your meal, because that's going to help with, um, feeling fuller longer so that you're not, if you're only having popcorn for a meal, like you're probably going to feel pretty hungry not long after that. Um, so, so just trying to think about some sense of balance when having a meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are, I think some really, really good points to bring up. And, you know, we even see people who maybe are attempting to be really healthy and maybe they bring carrots and celery as a meal. And while those are really healthy foods, a great, great healthy options, that's not going to tide you over for very long. You're going to be hungry again, probably within the hour that you eat that. Um, and so 
and having some protein or having some fat with that, um, will help you to feel better for longer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Peanut butter would be great. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I love peanut butter. Uh, (laughs) Okay. So it's a useful tool for sure. Um, now if I'm say working, you know, on a very, very busy ward and, you know, Jane, you're saying it's, it's, you got to prioritize, um, what are some, some ways I can do that? Like, Mm-hmm. obviously the vending machine is there, but I'm not probably making the he- healthiest decisions out of the vending machine. So what should I be doing to help me along? If I'm yeah. walking between patients rooms and I can grab something off the nurse's station. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I am always interested to talk to nurses and employees in different areas because I've had some veteran nurses who say, I will always make time to have something to eat. <laughs> And, and they're just going to do that. Or, or I recently talked to someone who was pretty new in their career and, and, and they have to make that a priority because it's um, a bad day when you've gone eight hours of your shift without really eating. And that's really unacceptable. We're, we're here to, to care for people and we can't really do that well if we're like trembling because we're so hungry or yeah. are not really thinking straight because we're so hungry. So, um, so trying to think of of things that you can eat quickly. And uh, Katie and I used to take these peanut butter energy bites around literally around the hospital, multiple hospitals, yes. <laughs> <laughs> giving some people. And, and so that's something we always recommend. It's, it's an easy recipe. It's like oats and peanut butter. And I think that recipe is still on our website. Yes. Um, some flaxseed, chocolate chips, and, and it's something that's pretty satiating that you can have for a pretty easy snack. Um, and then, you know, nuts are always great. I know that um, something people are kind of thinking about is not really wanting to use their hands very much for things they're eating if they're working on a in, in direct patient care. So, so you may want to um, have something you can eat quickly. You don't have to use your hands for. And maybe that's yogurt and granola or something that you can mm-hmm. do. Um, but I've seen nurses who have a lunchbox that's like full to the rim of different options. So if they have a little bit more time, they can eat a salad that's packed in that. Or if, if they don't really have as much time, there's a few different snacks that they can eat in different bites. But, um, but making time like to do planning that. Planning is important. And then time yes, is important. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. my favorite word, boundaries are important. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Boundaries are definitely, I think, uh, a topic that I think a lot of people can relate to with especially in healthcare when, you know, a lot of what motivates us is to take care of other people and, and wanting to say yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And, then, and then you realize that oh, I forgot about me today. You know, I need to be fed and I need to take care of myself or else I'm not going to do a good job caring for others. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, ladies. So we have only a few minutes left. So I wanted to go through some myth busting kind of rapid fire style, if that's all right with you. Um, we'll do our best. <laughs> good, bad, <laughs> rapid fire ish. Um, <laughs> I won't limit the word count or anything. Um, eating late at night is bad for me. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course not. Based on what we talked about earlier, I think, yeah, no. Okay. Um, low carbs is the best way to lose weight. Well, these so are complex can't questions. hear Jane's eye roll. Jane, I did a nice <laughs> eye roll there. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, widely spread. But yes, uh, you need carbohydrates. Course, yeah, you need carbohydrates, and of course, 
if you cut out food group, you're going, your, your body is going to lose weight, but how long can you sustain that? And do you want to live the rest of your life? Like not eating, you know, this, this food group, <laughs> probably not. So, so finding a, a balance, um, is going to be the key. I know this one. Cause I've tried to do it. Um, you can burn enough calories exercising after you have a big meal. We're not really ones to do calorie counting here, but it takes a lot, a lot of exercise to burn off calories from food. I mean, it's yeah, no. <laughs> I'll say from my own experience, the second half marathon I ran, I was like, okay, so I'm running half marathons and I'm running every week, these really long distances. I can have bacon and French toast every Sunday. I run a long run. I gained weight that half marathon. Uh, <laughs> Cause I even running half marathons was out, not outrunning my diet. Um, eating a ton of fruit leads to weight gain. Oh, again, that's yeah. Putting, putting fruit on the bad list. No, there's no bad list. Also fruit is great. <laughs> Love fruit. <laughs> I, I, I do want to get back. I know that we're trying to keep these rapid fire, but quickly on the, um, the idea that, uh, that you can burn off as many calories as you've eaten. I think that dieting mindset and the weight loss industry has made us think that all food goes to weight gain. And we kind of miss that, like, oh, wait, our bodies use a lot of energy. We need to have food that supports our, our lungs and, and organs and, and muscles and, and all of these things. So uh, knowing that not every bite equates to you, we don't have to, we don't have to earn or burn off things that it's that's again connecting to your body and being able to tell when you feel hungry or when you feel uncomfortably full eating different things awesome um eliminating an entire food group is ideal for weight loss <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess yeah this goes back to talking about we just our spent problems 20 with, minutes saying don't do yeah. that <laughs> yeah. yeah okay um healthy foods are unaffordable Hey, that's yeah. a common, a common myth. Um, having things like beans, you know, beans are healthy. Beans are cheap. That's just an example. <laughs> if you think of healthy foods as all organic and, and things that are gluten-free or packaged in a way that says, you know, all of these different health benefits that is also $20 to buy in this one product, then yes, it is. It is really expensive to eat healthy but it's perfectly affordable if you are spending a little bit more time uh, chopping up whole vegetables, let's say, or if like Katie said, maybe you buy dried beans and you put those in the crock pot and you have that for several meals or make soups with canned vegetables or find some frozen vegetables. Those are perfectly healthy and, and really affordable. So uh, I think that we are often led to believe that by um, certain messaging, but healthy foods don't have to be expensive. Yeah, probably now that you mentioned that it is probably more like the more packaged prepared foods that are organic, that are more expensive than the like, quote unquote, less healthy version. But if you're sticking to mostly whole foods, like whole fruits and vegetables and um, beans and, and rice and grains, um, it's really easy to stick to a budget, actually. Well, and Jane was mentioning frozen foods, you know, like that sounds like a great affordable option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So we can afford to be healthy. Got it. Um, detoxing is a good option, especially if I want to lose weight. 
Well, I think that that is another kind of gimmick uh, from, well, I, I know that it's a gimmick from the diet industry that in theory, our bodies are capable of removing toxins. We have a liver for that purpose and kidneys too. So it's, it's important to give your body some credit and know that like it should be cleansing things that are coming in and, and leaving your body too. And, um, and so there's not a need to go on a detox, detox diet. <laughs> And in fact, a lot of them, I think sometimes can be kind of questionable. Sounds about right. Uh, low or non-fat is healthier. Yeah, this is a good question. I think, you know, back when, I don't know when, when this was, but maybe in the nineties, when it was deemed that all fat was bad, we saw a big snack wells, man. Yeah. <laughs> we saw a big influx of, of low fat products. And then typically, so fat, the fat molecule actually carries the flavor of food. And so when you take the fat molecule out, you lose a lot of flavor. And so especially with, with packaged foods, um, you'll see an increase of salt and or sugar to make up for that flavor. Um, so, I mean, we're not, we're not big fans of, of that for that reason. It's, it's kind of manipulating food in a way that's not how the food was created. <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it too, is I think your preference, you know, if, if we're thinking about like milk or yogurt, I mean, you know, if you, if you like, if you prefer the, the lower fat version, great. If you don't, that's also fine. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fat has a lot of merit, you know, that that's, that's something that delays gastric emptying. So it's something that helps you extend feeling full or satisfied and, and it contributes to feeling satisfied after a meal. And, um, and there are also fat soluble vitamins too, that require some fat in order for us to absorb them. So, um, so it's, it's important to have fat in our diet, Let eating low fat or non-fat things. Um, that, that isn't necessarily healthier. Um, there is uh, something to be said for saturated fat, maybe there's enough research, you know, that, that supports that that can, um, increase risk for heart disease. So that's going to be things in, um, in some of your dairy products, if you're, um, having a whole lot of, um, whole fat products like that, that can be something to look out for. And, um, and then meats that have a lot of, um, saturated fat, um, in them. So, so there's, there's that, but overall, um, looking at, um, the big picture is important. Mm-hmm. Every nutrient so, is important. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, you guys important. mentioned on my plate, I should have some sort of fat on there. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously it's not my whole plate. Pro- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Okay. Well done, ladies. I think you did good with the, uh, the rapid fire. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Going too many tangents. Yeah. So, you know, I want to, I want to leave our listeners on a little bit of hope and, um, positivity and cause I know you guys are very positive people. So what, what should our listeners take away that they should, you know, really, what could, what could make their, their relationship with food better? What, what, what should they be focusing on? I think mindfulness and preparation, like in, enjoy the meal, savor, savor it. And um, try to do that with other people. Family dinners have kind of become extinct, <laughs> but uh, not not in all cases. But uh, but you know, even if it's just one person, like putting some time into preparing a meal and being mindful about eating that, and 
and listening to your body. You're going to be much more likely to hear that if you're not as distracted by doing four other things while you're eating, which is really easy to get into the habit of. Mm -hmm. I think we would all benefit from just slowing down a lot and, and especially with eating, but also in other areas of our life too, just when we slow down and especially when we take care of ourselves, we're better able to listen to our bodies and to actually respond to what our bodies need. Well, thank you so much, Katie, for being our very first guest on our <laughs> podcast. My pleasure. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> and we want to thank everybody for listening. Make certain to hit the subscribe button so you will not miss us every Wednesday. And uh, next week, be on the lookout for one of our exciting new either meditation or classes. We'll have to figure that out. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Best Health for Us podcast. For employees of Wake Forest Baptist Health, employees can learn more at besthealthforus.com. That's besthealth, the number four, us.com. Non-employees can check us out at wakehealth.edu slash besthealth. 